Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 196 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Getting the timing right when you're messing with your bees can be crucial to a good season. Today, I'm starting to look at specific timings that will affect the early part of our season here in Norfolk. short and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me i'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by simon the beekeeper making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone simon the beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible along with a super fast delivery service the bees won't wait so their customers don't have to either Visit the website at www.simonthebeekeeper.co.uk Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're all safe and well. January's nearly over. How quickly did that month go by? We survived the vagaries of the weather. It's been a month of fairly easy conditions, to be honest, certainly for our bees. But I would like to see a settled dry spell, just so that the hives can kind of dehumidify a little, as it were. Damp is a real killer for our colonies, and I'd rather the colonies had cold and dry weather rather than cold but constantly damp. Looking at the short-term forecast, it does look like we're in for a bit of a mixed bag of conditions, as usual at this time of the year, but overall it does look like we're in for some drier days with sunny intervals, and today has been fabulous. I've spent some considerable time this week working my way around the colonies checking their weight by hefting and adding a little fondant where necessary. I have to say, I am very pleased so far with what I'm seeing. Starting with the honey pour hives over at the farm, we only added fondant to the nukes, and there were a couple of full-size hives that we popped a bag or two of fondant in as well, but out of all of them, that's not bad, and it was because they felt noticeably lighter than all the other hives. That's the great thing about hefting. You can lift dozens of hives and then suddenly you lift one and you think, whoa, that's light. It's an immediate alarm to get the roof off and take a look. First of all, do we have live bees in there? A very light hive could mean that the colony has died out and all the stores have been robbed by other colonies. That has to be the worst case scenario. A colony that has died, maybe of some terrible disease, and then the frames have been picked clean by opportunistic bees from other colonies, all taking disease back to their own hives to spread around. And once a few bees discover that the dead hive can be robbed, it seems they all get the message and suffer from that kind of human panic called the fear of missing out. The hive gets swamped, a mad rush to get in, grab the freebie stores, get contaminated and take it back home. A total disaster for the bees and the beekeeper. It's why you really have to keep a watchful eye on your colonies all winter long. The bees back at the farm, for the most part, had nicely weighty hives. A decent amount of food still in the hives for the colonies to work through. I did check to make sure that they hadn't become isolated from the stores. This is where smaller colonies can be vulnerable getting separated from the food stores within the brood box and completely resistant to move themselves because of the drive to keep what little brood they have warm and alive. 
ironically killing the entire colony through starvation. So it's always worth lifting the roof and having a quick look to see what the cluster is doing and where they're positioned. Ideally, I'd like to see a large cluster of bees centred in the middle of the brood box, covering a decent number of frames, maybe six or seven for a large colony. This is where things can get a little grey, because some colonies will naturally reduce to quite small colony sizes to overwinter, and then explode again in the spring. Anything larger than a decent melon-sized cluster should make it through without any problem, I would say. As we all know, though, honeybees can collapse from a giant population or just as well survive with a cup full of bees. It's all down to their genetics. That said, seeing bees in several seams of a brood box reassures me that all is well. If they happen to be tight on one side, I would be a little more concerned and perhaps consider taking some action. We're not talking inspections here, remember, just a little centering of that cluster. And this can be done most easily when it's really cold. The bees will be in a tight cluster and won't want to move around a great deal. I'd remove a couple of frames from the furthest edge away from them, ensuring that they have food in them, shift the remaining frames across to fill the gap that I've created, and then replace the frames of food in the gap that I've just created close to the edge of the cluster. This places food nice and close to the bees so that they don't have to move away from the position they hold, which is likely to be wrapped around a small area of brood. In this instance, I'd probably also add a bag of fondant, the usual belt and braces move for most beekeepers. Over at the fishing lakes, we have the majority of our colonies overwintering. I've probably mentioned before the reasons for this, but I think late winter and early spring growth is so important I'm going to probably repeat myself here. The brood nest is going to expand rapidly, certainly as we get into spring, and that young larvae will need a lot of protein, and that's pollen. Here in Norwich, for my bees, willow is undoubtedly the single biggest provider of pollen. The fishing lakes are surrounded by it, and every spring we see our bees working hard to bring back as much as they possibly can. Some get totally covered in the stuff and appear as if they've been dusted with it. It's one of the reasons our colonies grow so well in the early part of the season. Of course, it's also weather dependent. If we can ask the weather gods for a little warm sunshine as we head into late February and early March, it will help our bees out so much. I don't mind if it's still cold overnight, but some midday spells of warm, dry, sunshiny weather gives them an opportunity to get out forage like mad and get back in again. If you can find a nice little location with early pollen, a little midday sunshine and some shelter from the prevailing cold winter winds, you're sorted. Not much to ask really, is it? Of course, we're not all lucky with the location of our hives and available trees and plants in the spring might not give enough pollen for the overwintering colonies. In this instance, you might be considering using a pollen substitute. These can really help top up colonies until they can get out and find some fresh local pollen towards the middle or end of March maybe. Where we do feed pollen substitute, it goes on around the end of February or the beginning of March. It doesn't need to go on earlier. Here we've tried a few different types and I've settled on the Apipasta pollen sub from Modern Beekeeping. It's made from the same high quality ingredients that the syrups are made of and where our bees 
do need it, they take it down freely. But don't be surprised if your bees don't take any pollen substitute from you at all. We find that some colonies just don't go for it, particularly when there's a sniff of the natural stuff around. Yet others will clean out the packs entirely, and all in the same apiary. If you find this happening, don't worry over it. Just leave the pollen sub on them until spring has really got going and then remove it. Wrap it tightly in cling wrap or bag it up and mark it with a colony number, pop it in the freezer and save it for the June gap or beyond. Our colonies in the poly hives and nukes are doing incredibly well. We have a large number of overwintered nukes that are completely filling their boxes. These we have given extra food to. The stores can run dry quite quickly with nukes because they don't have that extra space. So you really do need to be on them regularly from now on. Remember, we're not inspecting them, just checking for food stores and topping up where necessary. The fondant is great for this. The one kilo bags lend themselves nicely to the nukes and a quick visual check each week gives us a good idea of how close they are to needing more food. It's the same for the full-size colonies, but they have far greater food stores available to them, so the pressure to keep them topped up so frequently isn't quite so demanding. But timing is everything, and that's why this week's podcast is called Timing is Everything in Beekeeping. From now all the way through to, dare I say it, the end of the season, getting the various processes and tasks timetabled correctly is really important, and it can be the difference between a successful year or not. Looking at the next two or three months or so, I can already see various timelines developing that will be really important to us, having a fast start to this season. Now, of course, these are very flexible timelines. Everything we do from now on is going to be governed by the weather, and that will be the case for you, I'm sure. Whether you're a beginner beekeeper about to take ownership of your first new nucleus colony of honeybees, a second year beekeeper with fingers crossed that your bees are going to get through their first winter, or a seasoned long in the tooth beekeeper waiting for the new season to start all over again. I guess we're all optimistic that we're going to have a great season, but don't just leave it to luck. Get a plan in place to make the most of what sometimes seems like a very short honey production season. To put that into context, in 2020, I was enjoying some lovely early spring sunshine and had bees filling supers in mid-April on oilseed rape fields. Colonies attempting to swarm, splits are plenty, and successfully mated new queens heading up those splits. We had a bumper crop on the oilseed rape, and that was followed by colonies being taken back to their home apiaries for a summer of blackberry nectar. Fast forward to 2021, and we found ourselves barely getting into the bees by early May. Such were the cold conditions locally, and we hadn't even attempted any splits by that time. And when you think our season ends rather dramatically on the last day of July, it only really gave us around 10 weeks of intense honey production before we were winding them down again for the winter with treatments and feeding. It was all over very suddenly. So here are some of my timelines for the next few months, should we get lucky and have a nice early start. Well, we're almost into February, and that, as I've said before, is a danger month for us. We'll continue to check our colonies and add fondant where it's needed. The last week of the month, I'll start adding some pollen substitute, again, 
taking note of the available forage that the bees have and adjusting to make sure that the colonies have as much protein as they need to start building larger brood nests. These we need for the early oilseed rape, but also this year for early splits that I intend to make, again with an eye on the weather. The difference between 2020 and last year in terms of our first full pollination on the oilseed rape was around two weeks. That's two weeks later last year than in 2020. And that can make quite a difference if it's cold and the bees are needed to maintain brood nest temperatures rather than getting out on foraging flights. We'll also be looking at our overwintered nukes around the early part of March to assess how they're coping and start to make contact with those customers who have orders with us so that we can make sure that they're all geared up to take their bees. This is a tricky time for nucleus colonies, so we won't be in a rush to hand them over, just in case the weather looks like it might turn wintry. But beginners are always keen to get their hands on their first colony, so we will try to accommodate them where we can. Early warm weather means we will need to keep an eye on the oilseed rape fields to make sure that we're ready to move our colonies into place where we need to, or be ready with supers should there be an early flow. But I do find that the oilseed rape always seems to be a bit slow at the start to give up extra nectar, and it's often not until the final couple of weeks that there's a sudden rush of nectar flooding into the hives, and that's when you need to be right on top of them. Quickly following on from the oilseed rape are winter-sown field beans. These can produce nectar in that final week of the oilseed rape flowering period, as we found out last year. And instead of looking to remove the rape honey before it granulates, we were adding the extra boxes to cope with the nectar flow from the beans. Again, this can vary a lot and field beans can be quite fickle in terms of the nectar flow. Sometimes it's great, sometimes you end up scratching your head because there's nothing. Spring sown field beans will be a little later of course and that can give a nice little break between the two crops allowing you to get the oilseed rape honey off before it granulates and returning the supers to the hives just in time for the field beans or other spring flowering plants. Throughout this very busy start to the season we're treated to the mad panic that is the swarming season so along with chasing around with queen excluders and supers you'll want to pay close attention to drone populations within your colonies. These are a surefire way of predicting queen cells. For me, this year, I'm crossing my fingers for lots of early drones. I need to split colonies and make them nice and strong for the summer flow. And the development of good quality splits in the spring will give me some fantastic colonies for that all-important month of July. So that's how my late winter and early spring is looking at the moment in my diary. But of course it can all change at the drop of a hat because of the weather. Remember the beast from the east for instance? Fingers crossed we'll all enjoy a pleasant and early start to the season and the nectar will flow in. I'll talk some more about timelines as we get closer to the start of the season. But that's it for this week. I'll catch up with you all again next time. But just so you don't forget... I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Mm -hmm.